That's the Mile High Hoops podcast with me, Zach By, powered by my friends at Superbook Sports. Stand up, Nuggets Nation. Denver Sports presents the Mile High Hoops podcast with Zach By. Denver Sports is your home for the most Nuggets content. Now here's your host, Zach By. What is up and welcome to another edition of the Mile High Hoops podcast. As always, I am your host, Zach By, And as always, I appreciate you spending a sliver of your busy day with me here on the podcast. Reacting to a Denver Nuggets nail-biter at home against the Golden State Warriors. 112-110 on Sunday evening that uh, snapped a two-game losing streak and avoided a three-game skid. We are down the very, very, very last stretch of this NBA season. Just four games remaining. And uh, at the time of recording, it is Monday afternoon at 2.30 almost. Uh, we are going to do a quick little podcast here, and then we're going to come back tomorrow morning on Tuesday morning and record uh, probably a little bit longer version, a little bit more expansive, uh, and then we'll have the visual component as well that will be repurposed on social media uh, in our new podcasting studios. But I wanted to just get here, uh, get uh, behind the mic on a Monday and react to um, some of the stuff we saw in the Warriors game, some of the MVP uh, conversation that has flipped uh, and it's kind of driving me nuts, but uh, we're going to cover some of those things here today, and then we'll come back on Tuesday morning, and then we'll likely come back on Wednesday and react to the Tuesday evening game on the road in Houston. Okay, uh, let's get to a couple of these uh, notes from the Warriors game. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I thought the Nuggets had a potential to uh, be getting blown out uh, watching that first quarter. Um, the Nuggets were down by double figures. Uh, I think it was 36-26, I want to say, at the end of one. And I'm like, you know, another game without Jokic. Uh, How are the Nuggets going to keep pace uh, with the Warriors without their, you know, hub of offense? And they ended up figuring it out. And along the way, there was some uh, interesting storylines. I want to start here, uh, though, with uh, Michael Porter Jr. Uh, It was one of the better games that I've seen Michael Porter Jr. play this year. And that... It came it came by way um, for for a few, a few different reasons. One, first of all, he played 34 minutes, which uh, I'm not looking at his game log right now, uh, but it feels like the most minutes that Michael Porter Jr. has played in quite some time. Uh, he shot 10 of 17 from the floor, uh, 4 of 8 from 3, 5 of 6 from the free throw line, pulled down 11 rebounds. That is really noteworthy. Uh, you can't find a game. Oh, yes, you can. Um, earlier this season, he had 13 rebounds against Utah. Uh, he had 22 and 13 back in October, uh, believe it or not. Um, but on the whole, that was as good as I've seen uh, Michael Porter Jr. rebound the basketball. And it directly led to, I mean, those are like, and, and you'd have to go back and like look at a cut up of all the rebounds. But man, a handful of those were just flat out winning plays. Flat out winning plays freaking plays and Michael Porter Jr. with his size uh, and his just natural athleticism that keeps on returning to him we've used the phrase confident body with Michael Porter Jr. he's not thinking at all and you saw that uh, lack of uh, tentativeness uh, in Michael Porter Jr.'s game on on Sunday evening I mean this guy was he was active on the glass I mean, he caught fire in the third quarter. They don't they don't win without him. Full stop. Um, 
The, he had a put-back dunk. He had an and-one getting physical inside. Um, so I really liked what I saw from Michael Porter Jr. Uh, in his 34 minutes of action. And, you know, and I was thinking of, like, you know, he had a, a, a couple uh, uh, transition threes. And if you are going to isolate, like, what is, like, the signature shot from Michael Porter Jr. Uh, in his arsenal right now? I think it's the transition three. I mean, what a weapon uh, that he is um, on the fast break going downhill and able to raise up and shoot it on a very regular basis. So that was encouraging, man. Look, Michael Porter Jr.'s um, journey has been a bumpy one in general. I mean, shoot, you're talking about three back surgeries before the age of, you know, 25. But outside of a game or two, and we were very we were critical of him uh, with the game against New Orleans when he played 27 minutes and was 5 of 15 for a total of 10 points, 0 of 7 from three-point range. Michael Porter Jr. has done a good job this year bouncing back from games like that. If you remember, they lost a game in early March in San Antonio where uh, he went, you know, he took five total shots in 20 minutes, uh, finished with seven points, and was just kind of like just sort of floating out there, had one rebound. It was just sort of floating. And then you see the way he bounced back in the next game against Brooklyn. He has shown a propensity to do that this year. He had a, a dreadful game. Um, in Memphis uh, in February, where he scored five points. It was like two for 10 shooting, one for seven from three, similar to um, this past week against New Orleans. And then he bounced back with a 29-point effort. So he has the stinker against New Orleans, bounced back with another 29-point effort. I I just think that's important. You know, he's still a young basketball player, guys. And to show that resilience and maturity, and, 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 and there's actually even more context to this conversation, because he has that stinker against uh, New Orleans, right, where the team couldn't even get to 90 freaking points. Couldn't get to 90. The, the lowest scoring team in the league, uh, I believe, is the Miami Heat. They score 108 points a game. The Nuggets without J- Joker uh, last Thursday, they didn't get within, you know, 20 points of the lowest scoring team in the NBA. And it was dreadful. I mean, it was just horrible to watch. Um, and Michael Porter Jr. was a big reason why. He was such an eyesore of a game. So you have that stinker. And it's not just about bouncing back because he actually started the Golden State Warriors game on Sunday night slow. So you're coming off a stinker and you're starting slow shooting the basketball. I just give a tip of the cap uh, to the um, stick to of Michael Porter Jr. on Sunday. And hopefully he can parlay that uh, into a strong end of the season. Really go into the uh, playoffs um, feeling good you know, uh, and feeling confident. Uh, I thought Christian Brown was tremendous. I mean, defensively, the way that he was um, sticking with both Clay and Steph off the ball, it was almost like he was a, um, like a police dog that, you know, that you're you, like, you give him the scent and he is just on it. And the way that he was so active and engaged uh, defensively, we know how both of those guys move without the basketball. Very like Rip Hamilton-esque, like pack a lunch, like you're going to run six miles tonight. Um, and I, I, I was just impressed with it, his defense um, on a night where he didn't really shoot the basketball well. I think it was three of ten. Let me pull up the box score here to make sure. Um, yeah, yeah, he was 3 of 10, 0 of 3 from 3, finished with 6 points, but uh, I thought he rebounded the ball well, had a couple steals, and just, again, what doesn't show up in the box score is uh, is that defense, and he is, he might be the best defender that the Nuggets have, uh, seriously. I mean, as a rookie, he has just impressed the freaking hell out of me, and he's so bouncy, man. 
Like, that dude is just so freaking bouncy. The Nuggets in general, I remember we talked about this like a month ago. Like, Jeff Green can put it on your head. J- Jeff Green put it on Anthony Lamb's head last night. Should have been an AM1 uh, from Golden State. Anthony Lamb, a Vermont product. Shout out. Uh, Aaron Gordon can obviously put it on your head. Michael Porter Jr. can put it on your head. Uh, Jamal Murray, when he's, you know, top-notch and feeling good, uh, is obviously, you know, a bouncy guy. Um, you know, and then you look at, you know, Christian Brown and Bruce Brown. I mean, you got some, got some dudes, man, that can, that can rise up on you like low key. I I feel like that's not advertised when you talk about the nuggets, but they have some really good under the radar athletes, like four or five of them that can uh, end up on sports centers, top 10 plays. Um, uh, Peyton Watson, uh, this was probably the biggest takeaway um, of the game, seeing him in 20 minutes of action. This guy uh, was a G League guy. I mean, how many games has has Christian or uh, Peyton Watson played uh, this whole year? Not a lot. He's averaging like, I don't know, five minutes a game or whatever it is. Uh, That guy against Phoenix and against Golden State is looking the part. And he played major minutes in both games. And I'm not even that worried about, like, against Phoenix, he shot two for six. Like, not even worried about it. And I remember I remembered um, in Summer League, we were reacting to Christian Brown. And Christian Brown, if you remember his Summer League, was, like, the worst Summer League shooting performance ever. And I remember coming on here being like, I'm really not that worried about it. All I'm looking for in the early returns with these young, raw players like Peyton Watson is, do you look the NBA part? How do you look in transition? Uh, how do you look defensively? Um, are you physical enough? Uh, do you have the, the the natural physical tools to mix it up on the NBA level? And I'm not necessarily worried about like the ball going in the hoop. With Peyton Watson, he has that in spades. He really does. And for him to play 20 minutes and shoot four of six, five rebounds to go with three blocks, could have had another one, and finish with eight points and a plus, uh, plus minus, plus three coming off the bench, that's really encouraging. I think it goes without saying that Peyton Watson is the current prototype of an NBA wing. You're talking about a guy who's six foot seven, uh, a seven foot wingspan, can jump out of the gym, and you can start to fantasize like what kind of a defender he could be uh, for this Nuggets team moving forward over the next couple years. That's really exciting. This is a guy who wasn't in the rotation at UCLA. Probably shouldn't have gone to UCLA, but is from the California area, went there, but he joined a team that was coming off a Final Four that was returning a bunch of dudes. I don't know what his uh, college um, stats were, but I'm trying to remember back to my uh, draft prep. Uh, And I'm going to try to pull it up here in real time as we talk about it, because I want to say he averaged like 14 minutes a game or something like that. Uh, Let me pull it up. It was... um, yeah, wow. I mean, you're looking at 12.7 minutes per game, and the guy was a one and done. So I, I think that there was probably some people that were like, hey, you need to go back to school. Um, but he goes and spends a, a year um, uh, with the G League team, gold, and develops, right? And this is a guy, I mean, how old is he right now? Oh, let me pull it back up. He's 20 years old. Can't, can't even buy a drink uh, legally. Now, I will say this. You can be excited about Peyton Watson and what he could bring to the table here with also having reservations about, you know, him playing in the playoffs. And I know Jamal Murray after the game was like, hey, we got to get, you know, Peyton Watson ready for playoff minutes. 
I'm like, eh, and I know we have people at our own station here at the fan saying, like, hey, this guy could play in the playoffs. I just really have to extend my imagination to see Michael Malone playing a 20-year-old rookie that hasn't been with the team this season playing playoff minutes. I'm not talking about garbage time. I'm talking about meaningful games in the NBA playoffs. I just can't do it. Um, that's with all due respect to, to how uh, really just tremendous I thought he looked on Sunday evening against Golden State. Playoff minutes, I can't go there. Now, we'll see how he finishes the season. You know, I'm pliable. I'm not locked into anything. Um, so, And it doesn't even matter what I say anyway. So we'll see what he looks like over the next four games. I will say this, and I just shared this with uh, my colleague DMAC on the air, is that um, I am as curious to watch Peyton Watson over the final four games as anything else that the Nuggets has to, have to offer. Period. Outside of like maintaining good health, that is the thing that I am going to be watching the most, maybe the most closely over the final four games of the season. Just who is this guy as a Denver Nugget? And we're very much uh, in the discovery phase uh, of that conversation. Um, okay, uh, what else here? I thought Bruce Brown played well. I thought I think Bruce Brown just in general, um, he had a dip there, and I'm not even saying he played like great, great with a, with a capital G against Golden State, but a couple really nice passes. Um, you know, he had the one baseline where he hung up in the air, felt like three seconds, and you know gave it a bounce pass, uh, left his feet to pass there, but at the last second to a diving. Uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope had a couple good finishes at the rim. Such a compact, explosive athlete is Bruce Brown. And uh, he, he was struggling, uh, I think, earlier in the month of March. But then you you look at really like as we got to like the game against uh, the Wizards where he shot 50% and, and had 14 points, he's finished in double figures in the last uh, six games. Um, and I thought the best game during that stretch was probably his uh, – couple games against uh, Philly and uh, New Orleans uh, last week. But, yeah, playing some pretty good basketball. So uh, this is obviously like a one-year deal with Bruce Brown, and his real worth is about – like it's been a really good regular season, good fit on the whole. Hasn't been perfect, far from it. But his real worth is about to be – have a light shined on it here uh, over the next two months, hopefully, um, with his uh, first year in Denver, probably his last year in Denver. But if you win a championship – like, that's that's why he's here, uh, to try to provide that st- stability off the bench. So I thought he had, he played well and has been, on the whole, playing well uh, in general. Uh, double-double for Aaron Gordon. He takes that matchup against Draymond Green personally. That goes back to the playoffs. You know it. I know it. Draymond Green mostly took him out of that series. Um, and uh, although Aaron Gordon actually played better down the stretch of the series, there's a thing between him and, and, and Draymond Green. Um, maybe Gordon was even too aggressive. Uh, outside of Jamal Murray, he took the most shots uh, for the Nuggets. Not used to seeing that from AG. Um, but I like the fight, though. You know what I mean? 13, 10, and 7. A couple steals. Um, you love to see it. You, you absolutely love to see it. Uh, okay, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. We talked about his uh, three-point deficiencies. This is a guy that, unfortunately, has fallen off from behind the arc, and I am becoming increasingly concerned um, with his reliability from the three-point line. This is a guy that Nuggets fans were upset that he wasn't in the three-point contest. Since then, in the entire month of March, guys, KCP shot 25%. That is deeply concerning. We saw a game in Milwaukee during the month of March where he did not attempt the three. That is horrible. That is just absolutely horrible for the standards of that guy who at a, at a certain point was top three in the NBA in three-point field goal percentage. 
that has, uh, yeah, it's just not the case anymore. Uh, so for him to begin a new month at 0 for 3 from 3 and 1 of 6 from the field, um, obviously KCP's worth to this basketball team goes beyond making shots, but he has got to make shots. There's no bones about it. I mean, this is his this is his game log counting backwards from the Golden State game. 0 for 3, 0 for 4, 1 of 4, 0 for 0, 0 for 4, 2 of 4, 0 for 5, 4 of 7 in a game against Detroit in mid-March, 0 for 1, 0 for 2, 3 of 6, 1 for 4, 0 for 4, 1 of 3. That is not good. That is 25% shooting with a sample size that is pretty legitimate. Um his three-point shooting in the month of February was below 40%. This is a guy who in January shot 45% and then was also 44% in the month of December. He was almost 50% in the month of November. So it is a precipitous drop-off from three uh, for uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. That is something I am also keeping my eye on in the last four games. Maybe everything gets just reset when the playoffs start. I hope that's the case because my eyes are telling me that guy has a real confidence problem. Uh, right now and, and and has had a serious confidence problem for over a month now. And it's something that we need to watch uh, sharply here uh, down the stretch. And obviously, as we turn the page to when things really begin to matter. Uh, real quick on the MVP race, uh, Joel Embiid has now firmly taken the lead uh, from Nikola Jokic. Um, Jokic doesn't play in three straight games. The recency, Jokic has still played in more games than Embiid. Okay, but it's the recency bias of it. And we are hearing people who cover this league talk openly about Jokic fatigue. You talk about a, a sentence that you never thought you'd hear two years ago. N- Jokic fatigue? What? Um, and that came from Brian Windhorst, by the way, who says he has Jokic third in his MVP ballot. There's a couple different things here. I don't know why Embiid is such a favorite over Giannis Antetokounmpo or uh, uh, Jokic. I, I, I can kind of understand it with the Jokic stuff. Because people are flat out using the last two MVPs against Jokic. If this thing was viewed in a vacuum and no previous history came into the consciousness of NBA voters or odds makers, you can't tell me someone averaging a triple-double for the one seed doesn't win the MVP. We gave it to a guy who was the four seed like five years ago. You can't tell me that in a vacuum, Jokic wouldn't be the MVP. But the recency bias from his, based off his own success is hurting Jokic. I, in some ways, combined with missing three straight games here, those things together, I can kind of understand why this is happening to the Joker. I do not, however, understand why Embiid is such a favorite over Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis is averaging less than two points less than Joel is. Joel has a team that has less wins and is the three seed. Giannis is the best player on the best team that's won 55 games. Okay, Giannis is a top three rebounder in the sport. Jokic is two, Giannis is three. Giannis is shooting 55% from the field. That's a top 20 number. He's averaging um, a six assist per game nearly. Uh, So I just don't understand why Embiid would have the lead over, and I said 55-win team. They're 56-22 and at the time of recording and have the, the one seed in the East locked up. So... I don't know why Embiid is, has become such a sentimental favorite. I'm not saying he hasn't had a great season. He has. That's indisputable. He's the league's leading scorer. But he do, isn't quite the rebounder of Giannis, isn't quite the assister of Giannis, and is shooting less of a percentage from the field than Giannis. So this one's been hard to, to fall. Each guy is having a great season, okay? 
Each guy is having a great season. I just don't understand why Embiid has become such the overwhelming favorite over the last, like, 96 hours or whatever it is. That's my little MVP rant for the day. Um, Okay. We're going to leave it there for now. Thanks for being here uh, with me, with us. Uh, If you feel like we deserve it, rate, subscribe. Um, You know it's always uh, appreciated. That's the best way to grow this thing, okay? Uh, We're going to leave it there for now. We're going to come back uh, tomorrow and do this again. We might repeat ourselves a little bit, uh, but we're going to come back and record on Tuesday morning uh, and look forward to the Rockets game on Tuesday evening, and we will kind of go from there. So, guys, I hope your week is off to a great start, and we'll be checking back in on a Tuesday right here on the Mile High Hoops podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Mile High Hoops podcast powered by Superbook Sports. Until next time.